Mother's Day is not without its faults, as you saw addressed in this prayer. After all, we do live in an imperfect world. For some, motherhood is an accident and not a, always a welcome one. For some, biological motherhood isn't possible and is a great source of stress in a marriage or in a family. For some, mothers weren't all that nice. And so the idea of motherhood has more negative connotations than positive. And for some, motherhood under the very best of circumstances is still less than a bed of roses. And yet, with all of those qualifications, the question might be, why bother with Mother's Day at all? And I would respond with, because of all of its stumbling blocks, for all of its pitfalls and broken dreams, for all of the soiled diapers, and in some cases, soiled wallpaper, and soiled plans, we're talking about a God-given, beautiful ideal, a natural part of God's creative plan to bring love and caring to light. And so, motherhood, in a sentence, is a constant demand for the gift of love and caring. For the gift of love and caring. Now, on a more comedic side, I remember a comic who said, being a parent or being a mom is wanting to hug and strangle your child simultaneously. And I think many of the moms and dads can appreciate how that must feel. But let me ask this, on May the 10th of 2015, in our Western culture, how has motherhood changed? How has motherhood changed over the years, the decades, the centuries, the millenniums in a society that has clearly lost its way in its thinking about the different roles of fathers and mothers? We now live in a world that wants to blur the lines not only of fathers and mothers, but of gender. We don't want male and female. We want one. And we have gone crazy in our country with that where we've lost its importance to our Christian worldview, it's important then for us as a church that, our, that we be firmly grounded in our understanding of the important place mothers hold in a biblical worldview. And in a world that's lost its way in its thinking about the family, about mothers who fulfill their calling, who will find themselves most fulfilled in being faithful to their families first, because that's pushing back against the culture. Mothers are increasingly told to focus and their that a focus and prioritization of their families is not only wrong-headed, it's ill-conceived. Careers, hobbies, even fitness, peer pressure, create expectations that run counter to the significant role that God ordained mothers to perform. So in God's ordering of the world and human relationships, let me say this, faithfulness always leads to fulfillment, whereas the world will try and say, just find your fulfillment. But the truth is, sometimes fulfillment will not produce happiness. Faithfulness will always lead to fulfillment. And so we as Christians must recognize and affirm in the midst of an onslaught of pressures that the calling to be a mother is a God-given calling. And this calling is found not only through biological motherhood, but it's found in adopting, it's found in belonging within a church community and in families. Now, how would we define motherhood? Well, I was not even going to venture to attempt that. I took somebody else 
who was brave enough to attempt it. And so this is how this person defines motherhood. By definition, motherhood is that dignified and strenuous life vocation taken up by a woman who has resolved to give herself fully to the task of nurturing godly children from a godly home environment. Women who dedicate the best years of their lives to this challenging endeavor are not to be laughed at or pitied, but highly esteemed. We need to make much of motherhood. And my desire, my goal here this morning is to encourage all of our moms here today and to ask from every one of us a sense of thankfulness from the sons and the daughters, from the husbands and the dads. But for a second, I just want to talk to the moms and let's get really real, all right? Do you sometimes feel a little powerless and overwhelmed as a mom? Huh. All right, I love it. I love it. You know, usually the women are a lot more quicker to give me a head knobbing thing than the guys are. The guys are just like deers in the headlight, all right? Do you sometimes feel like you're just overwhelmed? Do you sometimes feel like a failure? Like you've tried everything, but it just doesn't seem like it's working. And then you go, now what? What do I do? Where do I turn to? How do you overcome? These are two words I know in a lot of the moms that I've talked to, a lot of the ladies I've spoken to, here are two words that are preeminent in our world, guilt and shame. Guilt and shame, a sense of failure. How do you get past the burdens and the feelings like you've got a limited time to influence your children and it seems like that time's running out? I can tell you uh, somewhat, I have to be careful here, but our oldest is moving away and uh, the lady next to him is stealing him from us, in our opinion, uh, as they move out west on the 20th. And I look at Brandon, and I can honestly tell you that the moment he was passed to me at his birth feels like it happened yesterday. And we blinked, and he's a young man going out on his own. And do you ever feel like, where did the time go? This window I have to influence my kids is just disappearing. Mom, what's your wish and your desire and your longing for your children? Where are you, ladies, on the womanhood spectrum? From beginning, becoming a woman, for some of the young ladies here, to your role and calling in life, and for some of you, that may be singleness or married, children or adoption. For some, God will call you to a life of helping and loving and nurturing the lives of children that are not yours biologically, but yours very much emotionally and spiritually. For some of you, ladies, you have walked through that dark time that sometimes leaves lasting scars of divorce or being widowed. Then for some of the moms, there's this, right? Am I a good mom? And I can't get over all of the things that bombard you. I remember walking through the three times of pregnancy with Debbie and all the things that come flooding through that women have to make, the, the, to make decisions on. Should I breastfeed or do I use formula? Do I use cloth diapers or store-bought? Trust me, more than one kid figures that one out, all right? There's homeschooling and private schooling and public schooling. There's their social development and friends. There's the academics versus the arts. There's clothes. Should it be name brand or value village? Right? Should it be, should it be Walmart or Old Navy? And all of these types of things. Then there's the sleepovers. 
When do they start? Who should they invite? How many should they invite? Should I ever let mine go to a sleepover? And what will happen? There's all the fears that a parent has, especially a mom. Then there's the sickness. There's the setbacks. There's the learning struggles. There's those social struggles where a child comes home and says they're being bullied or your worst nightmare when someone tells you your child has bullied another one. There's spiritual struggles when they stop answering all the questions and they stop getting all the trophies and awards in Awana or Sunday school and they actually say, I don't even know if I believe in God. Now what do you do? And then there's all the stuff that goes on amongst moms and ladies of that comparing stuff. Like this mom is organic while this mom is Miss McDonald's. And then there's that mom who hovers too much, but then there's that mom that doesn't even know her child. Excuse me. That mom is all about the wilderness, and that mom is all about technology. That mom runs around all the time, but that mom spends too much time with her kids. That mom works too much outside, and that mom spends too much time, and she's not mom enough. Then there's that mom that's a part of the two-income family and that mom that stays home. And then you add on top of that the church. Are you mom enough to take your church, your kids to church enough? Do you read the Bible enough with your kids? Do you have the right amount of family devotions? Are your kids in Awana and youth group and college group and Sunday school? And are they serving? And did they go to on a missions trip? And did they go to camp and retreats and all of that stuff? Are you tired yet? <laughs> and then what do you do if your kids don't behave like the rest of the other kids? Or your child wanders away or struggles with God. What if your daughter or son comes home and says they've had sex? Or you find out they're watching the wrong stuff. Or your daughter comes home and says, I'm pregnant. Or your son comes home and says, I've done drugs. What if they develop the wrong friends or pursue the wrong stuff or leave home before you think they're ready? Are you getting the picture of some of the stresses that go with being a parent? And I will say, this stuff weighs heavy on the hearts and minds of mom. It just does. Are you seeing the struggles? What do you do? Where do you turn to? Do you have any real power? And the answer to all that is yes, yes, and yes. Now, let me talk directly again to the ladies and moms. First, I want to tell you this, all right? You have a God, a heavenly Father, that you can and must turn to as mom. And we're going to see four examples of that in the Bible to encourage you as you go out on your Mother's Day excursions and adventures, I hope, getting spoiled and being made to feel special over the next day. And if you're really good at it, making it stretch out over days or even a week or more, all right? But you know what? There's an expression that I've, used, I've heard and been given, and it's one thing that comes to part of my life the older I get and the more in leadership that I am, and that is just when I get sick of saying something, people start to get it. All right? So I want you to know, moms, for everybody in our church, no matter how much you might feel like a failure, how how much you are struggling with this, even for some of you that think, you know what? I came here today, and I want you to know I feel like I'm rocking this mom thing. All right? No matter where you are on the spectrum of motherhood, no matter where you are in life, no matter how you think you're doing with your children, however young they are to however old they are, I want everybody in this room to remember something. Everywhere we fail, Jesus succeeds. No matter where you are, I want you to realize the most freeing thing in the gospel is you don't have to perform. You don't have to impress Jesus. You have him. He's yours. 
and everywhere you fail. And when you really believe that, moms, when you really believe that, when you lose your temper or you make a wrong choice or you let them go to something and it backfires no matter what, you won't run and hide. You won't make excuses. You will feel completely safe to go to Jesus because you know you're loved. You know it's safe because you know everywhere you fail, he succeeds. And God is never in heaven ticked off at his children. I want you to know if you are a child of the king, if you know Jesus and you believe in him and you trust in him, God is never angry at you. That is an impossibility. Will he discipline you? Yes. Always in love. Never in anger. Never in vengeance. Never to get even. That is wonderfully safe. And so... As you let that statement sink in, I also want to say this. Mothering, in fact, parenting, is not about success or failure. All right? Mothering is not about success or failure. It's always and only about faithfulness and trust. Parenting, mothering, is not about success or failure. And I'm going to make that point over and over again. It is always about faithfulness and trust. Will you be faithful to what God has called you to? And will you trust God who is way bigger, more loving, more powerful than you and I with our children? And so I was privileged. I dress up like this every Mother's Day to remind me of the legacy of my mom. Now, she's still living. I don't want to talk in the past tense like she's dead. She's very much alive. In fact, she's probably able to outdo me, to be quite honest with you. Um, Very much alive, very much in prayer. I will talk to my mother this afternoon, and we will have laughter and have a great discussion. But I come and have had the privilege of having a praying mom. And I will tell you, I know firsthand the power that was in those prayers. But moms, how much are you praying for your children? I think we live in a world where a lot of moms are busy with their children, but how much are you praying for your children? And as you sit here today, what, where are your children at in their lives? What do you want for your children? What do you hope they become, and what is their spiritual condition right now? And are you at a point where you've given up hope, or are you discouraged? Well, then I want all the moms to know that the Bible is full of moms who simply had prayer. They had nothing else. All they had was prayer, and they found out that their greatest weapon of all was prayer. And so I want to look at four aspects of prayer, all right? What is the power of prayer, all right? Number one, the power of prayer in a mom's life is that it's in her sacrifice. And you see that in Exodus chapter 2 in the woman that is Jochebed. Jochebed is the mother of Moses, And in Exodus, you find out that Jochebed not only had a son in a rough period of time, no matter what you and I think of our culture, this woman was born into slavery. Jochebed was born into a dictatorship. The Egyptians owned the Hebrews. And then she had a son, and he was born into slavery. And if you back up into chapter 1 of Exodus, in verse 21, and because the Pharaoh, because the midwives fear God, feared God, he gave them families. But notice this in verse 22. Then Pharaoh commanded all his people, that's the Egyptians, every son that is born to the Hebrews, you shall cast into the Nile, but you shall let every daughter live. This is the climate, the culture to which Moses is born. He is born under a rule of, if a Hebrew family has a baby boy, kill him. 
And it's not just kill him fun-wise, it's flick him into the Nile and he drowns. This is, now notice what chapter 2 says. Now a man from the house of Levi went and took, at, took as his wife a Levite woman. Now if you know anything about the Old Testament background, it means this family were from the Levites, the tribe where all the priests came from in the nation of Israel. All right? So this man and woman came together, and, they, and the woman conceived and bore a son. And when she saw that he was a fine child. I always smile when I read that because I, I, I've never met the woman who said, well, my son or daughter is not a fine child. Right? I mean, it ba basically, Matt, Moses is the author of this. Moses is saying, mom took lo one look at me and she was in love. And that is every mom, isn't it? She takes one look at her child and he was, she held him, hid him for three months. And when she could hide him no longer, she took him for, for, took for him a basket made of bulrushes. She daubed it with bitumen and pitch. She put the child in it and placed it among the reeds by the riverbank. And his sister, that's Moses' sister, stood at a distance to know what would be done to him. Now the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river, and while her young women walked beside the river, she saw the basket among the reeds and sent her servant woman, and she took it. When she opened it, she saw the child, and behold, the baby was crying. And I don't know, but there's something about a baby in distress, right? And this tugged at the heartstrings of Pharaoh's daughter. And she saw this little crying child. And she took pity on him and said, this is one of the Hebrews' children. Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, shall I go and call you a nurse from the Hebrew women to nurse the child for you? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, go. So the girl went and called the child's mother. Now, don't tell me God doesn't have a sense of humor. And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, take this child away and nurse him for me, and I will give you wages. This woman got paid to mother her own son. Now, that's a powerful God. All right? And she took him and nursed him. And when the child grew up, she, that's Moses' mother, Jochebed, brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, now notice this, and he became her son, and Pharaoh's daughter names him Moses, because she said, I drew him out of the water. Moms, I want you to know there's power in prayer, because when you pray, you will be led to sacrifice, and there's power in your sacrifices that you make as a mom. I want to remind you again that Moses is the one that's writing this about his mother, Moses is the one that recounts that at some time she must have told him this story. She told him about how he was born and the circumstances by which he was born and everything that happened. And by faith, she hatched a plan to have her son rescued. And little did she know that she would hear the, from God and, and was able to influence him the way she did. Now, do you not think this was desperate faith? Do you think Jochebed just got up and said, you know what I'll do? I'll put him in a basket, I'll float him down the Nile, and I'm sure God will take care of him. Do you really think? I think this woman was petrified. I think that because she doesn't go down to the river, Moses' sister does. I think she had desperate faith. It was faith that she wanted God to do something, she hoped God would do something, but she wasn't 100% sure, and if it went wrong, she didn't want to be there to see it. Moms, have you ever felt like that? Have you ever been that desperate? I learned that there are good guys in this church and some that are masquerading as good guys. And Jeff Piercy is one of those guys that's masquerading as a good guy. 
because he took me and he said, why don't we take our kids and go on this little adventure? And he took me down to Petty Harbor and to this thing called zip lining. And that sounds really good unless you're slightly, not slightly, massively overweight. And you go to a place where they take you and put you about 270 feet in the air. They put a couple of basically seat belts on your rear end, hook you to a cable and say, have fun. So I had to laugh because when I'm there and the guy says, now just sit down into the harness and grab a hold of the two handles. And he says, now don't grab onto those, just relax because then you'll enjoy the ride. I'm like, dude, there's no way I'm enjoying this ride. Now, at that moment, I had desperate faith. I held onto those handles like my hands were crazy glued. I figured if these things break, I will dangle, but I ain't fallen. All right? And I held on for everything. And it took me till there's 10 different routes you go. One of them is 2,500 feet long. You're just dangling there, zipping along. And I just remember gripping that and gripping it. <clears throat> but as the day went, <clears throat> the irony is by the time I got to the 10th one, I completely now had strengthened faith. I'd become confident in my harness, and I was willing to let go and kick my legs back. I was reaching out for trees and going in it hot and knocking people over. It was awesome. But I started out having desperate faith. This woman had desperate faith. It wasn't that she knew what the outcome was going to be. Moms, you're going to do things, and God's going to call you to do things, and you're going to have to give your children over to things, and you're not always going to know the outcome, and you're going to be desperate. And God's not upset. You've got to exercise your faith. Why, how do you think now when Jochebed goes down and desperately, you have to believe that she cried her eyes out as she let go of that little basket and her baby boy was in it. You know she cried out to God and said, Oh, God, protect him. What a sacrifice. But can you imagine the strength of her faith when her daughter comes back and says, Mom, Pharaoh's daughter picked up our boy and she wants to hire you to take care of him. And then you see, I want you to realize that you come to the end of it at, at the, chapter 2, verse 10. Now her faith has been strengthened because it's no longer desperate. Now when she raises him to the point, she can give him back to Pharaoh's daughter as if he's hers and, she, and he's not. And he's going to be raised in an Egyptian culture. But when you go to Hebrews chapter 11, you find out that Jochebed had so influenced Moses that the time she spent crying over him and praying over him and sacrificially giving him over to God and his will. When you get to Hebrews chapter 11, verses 24 to 26, it says when Moses finally was a man and could choose whether to be with Egypt or with the Israel, he chose Israel. And he became God's greatest emissary of the Jews, second only to Jesus Christ. In fact, if you go to Israel today and ask a Jewish person, who is the greatest Jew to ever live? They will say, Moses. That's what they will say to this day. This was the power of a sacrificial mom. So moms, I want you to understand that you probably have much more of an opportunity than Jacobed did at influencing your child. And I want to ask you, are you taking advantage of those few short years of your young one's childhood to make a positive, lasting contribution to the glory of God? And you will do that most in prayer. And I want you to remember, by application, moms, your sacrifice mingled with faith produces great power with God. Even if it's desperate faith, even if you feel like I am letting them go, 
And again, I'm not trying to put any guilt on Brittany or Brandon. I love them both, and I'm very proud of how they've come together. But I'm not going to lie to you and tell you I'm, I'm not desperate at times when I know he's going to leave me in a few days. I know how his mom feels. It's not easy to have your children leave, is it? But we have to trust the Lord. We have to trust the Lord. And this is what I want you to realize. Now I want you to go to 1 Samuel with me. Go to 1 Samuel chapter 1. 1 Samuel. So moms, there's power in your prayer because of your sacrifice. But secondly, there's power in your prayers because of your urgency. There's power in your prayers because of your urgency. And you see that in Hannah, the mother of Samuel. Now, if you read this, you will find out that Hannah was a part of a family where a man had more than one wife. And one of the wives didn't have any problems getting pregnant, and she had all kinds of kids. And she wasn't happy enough just to have children. She wanted to rub it in on Hannah that she couldn't have children. And the backstory is that Hannah, year after year, she went up to the tabernacle with her husband during the high holy feast, and she would go into the tabernacle, and she would pray, and she would seek the Lord for an answer to her prayer. Now, I want you to notice what happens. I want you to notice in verse 12 of 1 Samuel chapter 1. And as she, that's Hannah, continued praying before the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was speaking in her heart, And only her lips moved, and her voice was not heard. Therefore, Eli took her to be a drunken woman. Now, ladies, I want to know this from you. Have you ever been so desperate, your heart has been so exploding for your children or for someone in your life, for a loved one, that you've been so passionate and urgent in prayer, your heart is just exploding with all these words, and nothing is coming out of your mouth, but your mouth is almost, you're mouthing the words of the desperation of that prayer? This is what Hannah was doing. She was so desperate in prayer, so urgent in prayer. Her heart was so full, and she was wrestling with God. Her mouth is moving. Nothing's coming out. And Eli looks at her and thinks she's drunk. I hate to say it, but stupid dude, right, to assume the worst. And here is a woman, and she's urgent in prayer, and she prays out to God. Now notice, she says in verse 15, but Hannah answered, no, my Lord, I am a woman. Listen to this troubled in spirit i have drunk neither wine nor strong drink but i have been pouring out my soul before the lord do not regard your servant as a worthless woman notice the desperation notice the urgency she had no problems even addressing him she didn't get defensive she didn't get angry she just said oh you have no idea how urgently i am praying to god and she prays for a child And God hears her prayer. But I want you to know, ladies, there's power in urgent prayer because number one, you got to persevere. And then number two, you need to be urgent. You'll notice, we don't know how many years Hannah did this, but we know it was a lot of years. She didn't do it for two or three or four years. She might have done this for five or 10 or even 15 years. She cried out to God and she cried out to God and she cried out to God. Moms, how long have you been praying for a child? 
How long have you been praying for a child you have that's maybe not living the way you want or maybe is not doing as well in school as you want or is struggling with friends or doesn't seem to be getting things that you want them to get and you get frustrated? You know what? You can go to God in prayer and that urgency and that perseverance God will honor because the end of this story is God gives Hannah a child. But it wasn't without sacrifice and you're going to see how all these things glue together. She says, Lord, if you will give me a child, I will prove to you that my idol is not motherhood. My longing and my love is God. And if you will give me a child, I'll give him back to you. And she was true to her word. God gives her Samuel and she weans him and she brings him and dedicates him to the tabernacle. And again, don't step outside of the biblical picture here. Moms, you know what this must be like. When she brings her little boy, who was somewhere between three and five, gives him over to Eli and says, raise him. I want him here in the tabernacle. You don't think every year that mom went up, four times a year she went up to see him, that at some point Samuel didn't say, Mom, why do I have to stay here? As he went through that, that, that puberty time and that time when he was looking for friends and all the things that go with that, you don't think he didn't have conversations with mom like, why have you done this? You don't think they didn't have awkward very serious, stressful conversations. Don't dehumanize your Bible. I want you to see the interplay here. And yet she was urgent and she persevered and she sacrificed and she just gave God everything. Because you see, more than mothering is not a job or a responsibility. Mothering is a ministry. It means sacrifice. Moms know all too well that children don't come off an assembly line. They are to be lovingly nurtured by their moms. And moms, I'm fascinated by you guys. You divide your time among your children, but you multiply your love for all of your children. And to this, you add the care of the home, often subtracting many extras in order to do so. And I find it fascinating because in the book of Isaiah, when he searched for an illustration of God's constant love for his people, the best example he could find was a new baby's mother in Isaiah 49, 15. As a mother... Let's go of her own life for the sake of her child. She's reminded of the depth and height and breadth of God's love for her. And in a unique way, she experiences the true joy of motherhood. And moms know the power of prayer, urgent prayer, sacrificial prayer, even confrontative prayer. Charles Spurgeon once commented about how his mother prayed for him. And he said this, I cannot tell you how much I owe to the prayers of my good mother. I remember her once praying. Listen to these words. Now, Lord, if my children go on in sin, it will not be from ignorance that they perish. And my soul must bear swift witness against them at the day of judgment if they lay not hold on Christ and claim him as their personal Savior. Now, how many of us would say that's a loving prayer? But I believe in the power of prayer because I have lived this. I was sharing this with Brother Steve. I have a very good friend of mine that's a Christian day school teacher and a part-time pastor in Michigan. We grew up together here in St. John's, and he went forward at one point in his senior year at high school and gave his life to the Lord and said he wanted to go to Bible college and become a Christian day school teacher. But through different things, he decided to go to Dalhousie, and he he started dating a girl that wasn't really the best girl of his choice. And she wooed him to Dalhousie, and he entered dentist school. And there he became the jock of jocks. I mean, he was easy on the eyes. And I say that as a guy who's married, totally comfortable with my heterosexuality. 
all right? But he was the consummate 80s guy. He had the leather pants. He had all these things, the silk shirts. Girls loved him. I mean, he did it. I mean, and listen, don't be laughing. That was cool in the 80s, all right? That was Miami Vice. He rocked it. And one day he was out partying, and he came home very late, and he tried to sneak in, and as he snuck in, his mom was in the living room, and she was on her knees by the couch praying and praying and praying. And as he came in, she stopped, and they had a conversation. He was like, Mom, what are you doing? I'm living my life. And this woman who I know, who's in church in this city today, looked at her son and said, Son, I want you to know what I was praying. You have given your life to Jesus, and right now you're not living for him. You're an adult. I cannot control you. But I want you to know that in prayer I've asked God that if you will not serve him, I would rather him take you home than have you embarrass his name on earth. Four months later, he was at the Memorial University gym lifting weights, and an aneurysm in his head blew up. He was lifting weights with his best friend, who was a good friend of mine. He got him over to the Health Science Center, and for some of you that are in medicine, at that point, there was a brain surgeon that came from California only twice a month, and he happened to be at, Mon at, the, at the Health Science on that day. And his mom was called to him, and they had heavily sedated him because they needed to control the blood flow. And his last words to his mother were, Mom, if God spares me this, I will serve Jesus. And God brought him through the surgery. He had to learn how to walk and eat. And he went back to Bible college. He has not had an easy life, but he is now a Christian day school teacher and part-time pastor in Michigan. Don't tell me there's not power in prayer, moms. Even sometimes hard prayers, urgent prayers. But then you go to the mother of Mary, sorry, the, the Mary, the mother of Jesus. You go with me to Luke chapter 2. So a mother's prayer is powerful because of the sacrifice of it. A mother's prayer is powerful because of the urgency of it. But in Luke chapter 2, you learn through the, through the life of Mary that a mother's prayer is powerful because of her love. Because of her love. I have to say that Mary is one of my most favorite heroes of all the Bible. I love her because she's so real. She's so human. Here she is, this young maiden girl, and the Holy Spirit comes, and an angel tells her, you are going to give birth to God. Now, how do you talk? about that in life how do you even go about living that and she just embraces it and when you get to Luke chapter 2 and you'll notice in verse 18 and 19 of Luke chapter 2 after the shepherds come it says and all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them but notice verse 19 but Mary treasured up all these things pondering them in her heart and then I want you to drop down to verses 28 because now she's had Jesus and she, her and Joseph are taking Jesus to the temple so they can dedicate him as per according to the law. And they come and these people come up to him and it, Simeon comes and takes him up in verse 28 and bless God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all the people. Now drop down to verse 33. And his father and mother marveled at what was said to, about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother. Now, I want you to get this, ladies. Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. Now, I don't know about you moms, but if someone walked up to you when you were holding your infant and said, this child is going to be famous. This child is going to impact a country and the world. 
But notice he doesn't stop in verse 35. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also. Imagine being told that. How much love would you have to have when you know going in that your child is destined to be not only famous but infamous? That the life that she would raise and have a part in time and time again as you go through all of Luke, that Jesus does things that nobody understands, even Mary. And she would finally come to a place where, as you'll notice, you can learn from Mary that for your love, she, she learned that her love for her child can only be as deep as your love for God is. Because at one point she loved Jesus as a mother loves a son, but by the time you get to Calvary, she loves Jesus as her Lord. And so, moms, the power of prayer is found in your love for your child, but it's only found in your love for God and for your child. Because if your child becomes more important than God, you're destined for heartache. Because even the love of your life and your children will never satisfy you like God will. Never. Don't make idols of your kids. Rather, love God and then love your kids. I've given you my testimony that I ran away from home when I was about 14 years of age. And one of the things I did, my dad was a pastor. And I looked at my dad and I said, you love God and the church more than you love me. And he looked me square in the face and said, yes, you're right. It was not the answer I was expecting. And he said these words to me, and I've never forgotten them. He said, son, because I love God and the church, it enables me to love your mother and you the way I should. And I have to tell you, my dad is my earthly hero. I love him in ways I can't even begin to describe. And I had a mom who just prayed for me. And she prayed and prayed and prayed. But she loved God more than she loved me. And there was power in her prayers. And when I ran away, I knew that I had parents that were praying for me. And I I will tell you guys, because one day I'm going to preach through Luke 15. And I want to preach the prodigal son, which I think is poorly named. It's really the prodigal God. Because prodigal means generous. Because I am the prodigal son, if you want to talk that. And I know what it is to run home dirty and broken and to be loved by my parents who point me to Jesus, but who took a stand. And moms, you can as well. And moms, I want you to understand. And here's what fascinates me about love of children. All right. It amazes me when the world gets it and the church doesn't. All right. Author Charles Murray wrote a book about why women have not climbed the corporate ladder like men have. And even though the culture tried with all of its might to get them so, his words are utterly amazing that a man would say this and then put it in print. I'm going to put it on the screen. Here's what he says. Exceptions exist, but as a rule, the experience of pregnancy and birth appears to be more profoundly life-altering experience for women than becoming a father is for men. So closely is giving birth linked to the fundamental human goal of giving meanings to one's life that it has been argued that ultimately it is not so much that motherhood keeps women from doing great things outside the home as it is men's inability to give birth that forces them to look for substitutes. Now, I'm sorry, that takes guts to write that down and put that in print. But it amazes me that the world gets it and the church doesn't. When you love God, moms, you will love your children. There's power in your prayer and your sacrifice, power in your prayer and your urgency, power in your prayer and your love. And then finally, there's power in the Lord, in the Lord. And that you have Eunice in First, Second Timothy chapter 1. In Second Timothy chapter 1, and I'm going to clue up with this, Eunice 
was the mother of Timothy. Church, we're walking through the pastoral epistles of First and Second Timothy. Now, Eunice was Jewish, but apparently she didn't have a very good Jewish dad who pointed her in the right ways because she marries a Gentile man. And he often obviously violated the commands because he had a daughter and she married a Gentile. And later when Timothy was born, he wasn't circumcised. And you can read all about this in Acts chapter 16. But Timothy had a godly grandmother and a godly mother. And you'll notice what Paul says. If you're looking at 2 Timothy chapter 1, notice verse 5. Notice what Paul says. He says to Timothy, I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I'm sure dwells in you as well. I want you to realize, moms, the greatest gift you can do is point your children to Jesus. It doesn't matter how many instruments they can play. It doesn't matter how many sports they're good at. It doesn't matter how many great straight A's they get in high school. What does it profit a child if they gain the whole world but lose their soul? The greatest thing you and I can do as parents, the greatest thing you can do as a mom is point your child to Jesus. Point your child to Jesus. Solomon gets this. Solomon says this over and over again. I wish I had time for this, but in Proverbs chapter 1, verse 8, Solomon says, Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching. Now, I want you to notice, you will see this appear over and over again in Proverbs. Basically, Solomon says, Dad lays down the law, Mom enforces the law. So Dad's like the government, Mom's the police. All right? And if you've been in any kind of a home, you know what I'm talking about. You know how many times my mother would say, basically, you're getting a ticket. When your father comes home, he's the judge, the jury, and the executioner. All right? But Solomon says this in chapter Proverbs chapter 6, verse 20. My son, keep your father's commandment and forsake not your mother's teaching. And notice what happens if you don't do it. Proverbs 29, 15. The rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child left to himself brings shame to his mother. In other words, moms, if you don't confront your children with Jesus, if you don't have discipline in the home, you're actually going to raise someone that will shame you. Now, listen, I'll say it again. Love without rules leads to chaos. But love or rules without love leads to rebellion. You got to have a balance. You got to have a balance. And that is the thing that you and I need to realize. I wish you could understand, train up a child in the way he should go, Proverbs says, and when he is old, he'll not depart from it. It doesn't mean that all your children are going to get saved, but it says if you saturate your kids with God, God will bless that obedience with himself. Lord Shaftbury once said this, give me a generation of Christian mothers, and I will undertake to change the whole face of society in 12 months. <laughs> Paul talked about the faith of a mother the inherent power of being a mother and the dynamic power of a loving God. Moms, there's power in your prayers because it's sacrificial. There's power in your prayers because it's urgent. There's power in your prayers because it's love. And there's power in your prayers because it's directed towards God. And so I conclude with this. Moms, it would be remiss of me in a room this soft many people not to assume that you all know Jesus. The greatest gift that you will ever give your child is Christ. But to do that, you need to know him too. 
Jesus Christ died for you. He bore your sins. The sins that condemn you and I, he took and wore our condemnation. And because of that amazing, unheard of act of love, Romans 5, 8 says, and while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And so if we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, thou shalt be saved. But Christian moms, I want to encourage you to stay focused on your God-given task. May it reinforce your commitment to ignore the shouts of the cultural sidelines that we should seek to persuade you that your life's meaning is measured only by what you accomplish outside the home. That is not true. And moms, I want you to know this morning that God listens to the cries and the prayers you lift up for your children. Like we learned, no matter what, pray. And ladies, remember, prayer changes things. And ladies, remember this. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, the writer says, Without faith, it is impossible to please God, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Now think about that. He says it pleases God when we go to him in faith. Now remember, it can be desperate. All right? My first three or four runs on the zip line, I was desperate. I prayed all kinds of prayers on that zip line yesterday. But I exercised my faith. Every time I did another section, I exercised my faith. And slowly my faith got stronger and stronger. Moms, it's not wrong that you're desperate. Remember the, one of my favorite stories of the, the, the Gospels is that one that goes to God and says, Lord, I need you to heal my daughter. And he says, do you believe? And he says, Lord, I believe, but help thou my unbelief. Because it was a parent being willing to say, Lord, I have faith, but I have weak faith. But you, if you go to him in faith, it pleases him. And notice, he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Don't miss that. Don't miss that. Moms and dads, for your children, however young they are, however old they are, if they're living, their story isn't written yet. So don't panic. Don't panic. Keep praying. But I want you to go, and I know I've used up all my time, but I do want to say this. Moms, don't leave here and think now. You know how to save your kids. Let me say this. Only God can save your children. You can't. Only God can save your children. You can't. We have all known moms that seem to do everything wrong, and yet their children are trophies of God's grace. And we have all known moms that seem to have done everything right, and their children went sideways. Because remember what I said at the beginning? It's not about success or failure. It's about faithfulness and trust. My father was a pastor when I ran away. I cannot tell you how very close friends turned on him and basically questioned his fatherhood, his fitness for ministry, and questioned my mom. And when I came back months later, my mom and dad sat down with me and told me how they every day prayed for two hours that God would rescue me. And God heard their prayer. Because my story isn't written. It still continues to be written. So wherever you're at in life, I want you to remember that prayer changes things. I want to end by showing you a video by the Gettys. Kristen Getty struggled with getting pregnant. And God's granted her now two to three children. And she wrote a song called The Mother's Prayer. And we're going to show you that. And then afterwards, Bob has gotten beautiful flowers here. And our children are going to get those, and they'll be at the back, and we want to make sure every lady gets a flower. So please don't rush off. Make sure you get a flower. But moms, if you need someone to pray with you or for you, I'm here. I'd be honored and humbled to pray with you. 
wherever it is you're at in that motherhood spectrum. There's some other ladies here as sisters in Christ would love to pray with you and for you. And husbands and sons and daughters and dads, listen, let's make much of our ladies and our mothers and our wives today and every day. But I want you to listen to this. And then we're going to close in prayer and be done. 